0: We're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Praise Jesus. Alright, Um. our teaching series for the month has focused on discussing Um, everyday issues, you know, so we talked about, the first Sunday we talked about um, guarding your mind, right? The next Sunday we talked about, what did we talk about? The Christian businessman in his environment. That's the Christian in business environment. So not basically business principles, but really we talked about um, how to, Christian conduct basically in in the business environment, how to make sure that you don't let the schemes and the whims of this world become your thought pattern as a Christian. The last week we had Judeep who was amazing. How many of you were really blessed last week? Like I was super blessed. Um, and we talked about the Christian in society generally. All right. Um, We mentioned a couple of things. The relevance of Christianity in the 21st century, you know, and and all of that. And today we're talking about depression. And um, yesterday somebody said, I've never seen a church where they preach depression. We're not preaching depression. We're not asking you to be depressed, please. We're preaching against it, okay? (laughs) All right. And before we continue, let me just say that. David. <laughs> Before we continue, let me just say that um, the seat of all right, the you of you can you can all face me back. The seat of spiritual warfare in Christianity. The seat of spiritual warfare. Has always been in the mind. Do you understand? It has always been in the mind. Um, listen. The devil has no business or he has no delight in your finances. I hope you know. Like if he takes money from you. It doesn't make him richer or poorer. He doesn't spend money. So, the devil has no delight in your finances. The devil has no delight in your health. If if he makes you sick, it doesn't make him healthier or less healthy. He has no delight in your relationships. All of those things are geared at doing two things. Number one, he touches all those aspects of your life so that he can touch your communication with God. Your prayer life. And number two, your understanding of God. Your Bible study life. See, once those two things are affected, you will crumble as a Christian. Do you understand? When when the devil went to meet God in the book of Job, and he said, "Ah, ah, that Job is this, and then God bragged that Job is an upright man, he's this, he's that, he's all of that. The devil said, is it not because you have put a hedge of protection around him? When God said, okay, I give you permission to do what you want to do, the devil didn't go to meet Job and start telling Job that, you know that God does not really love you. You know, that's not what the devil did with Job. What the devil did was, he went and he started to touch things around Job's life. Do you understand? Why was he touching all those things? He had no interest in Job's kids. He had no interest in Job's um, money or his finances in his business. He had no interest in Job's property. Why Why he touched all of those things is so that he would change Job's perception of God. Do you understand? Do you understand? So, why does the devil come at you? Why does he attack your business? Why does he attack all the things you do? All the things you have around you? Your health, your finances, your business, your um, relationships, your academics. Why does he attack all those things? Simply because he wants to get to your mind. Do you understand? Because he understands that what the word of God does first of all is that it fixes your mindsets. Do you get? So if he's going to undo what the word of God has done, he has to work on your mindset. This tells you that as a Christian, one of your most important assets in life is your mind. Do you understand? Is your mind. You must always be aware of what is going on in your mind. And that's why the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not canal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we discussed how in many circles, in many churches, in many environments, when they quote that scripture, they begin to tell you to pray some kinds of warfare prayers. Now, those are important. Alright? Okay? To pray against whatever the devil is doing in the life of a person is very important. But that scripture was talking predominantly about your mind. It says there are mighty through God, to the putting down of um, strongholds, casting down every imagination and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of the Lord. So, when the devil comes at you and he afflicts your life, afflicts your this, afflicts your that, all he's trying to do is he's trying to inject a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of the Lord. Do You understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? And that's why um, this month, if you notice, most of the teachings this month have focused on guarding your mind, how you see things. It really matters, guys. It really matters. And so today I want to talk about depression, because it matters. All right? It matters. You have Christians who go to church every Sunday. Unilag results came out how many weeks ago? And I heard about 10 people committed suicide after they saw their results. Do you understand? If you ask these people, are you a Christian? They'll say yes. But I've told you before that for something to get to your mind so much so that it takes you to the place of suicide, it means that you have another God that is not the God that we serve. I don't know if you understand. If we ask you to give your life for God. That is go and die for God. Many people say no. But because of results. You took your life. You have a different God. Praise the Lord. And I want to start today's teaching by talking to you about the nature of temptation. You see I believe that depression is a temptation. I sincerely believe so. It's a temptation. It's. It's a temptation that people fall into without knowing it. You know, um, anyway, let let, let me not get ahead of myself. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Are you there? Read verse 1 to 7. Genesis chapter 3, from verse 1 to 7. Are you there? Are you there? If you there, say loud, Amen. amen. Alright, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath, ha, ye, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat out of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall surely die. You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. You shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to, des- to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did it and gave also unto her husband and did it. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. This was the very first temptation in the entire Bible, right? Notice that what happened was the devil came to the woman and he said, as God said, you should not eat of any tree in the garden. He didn't know which tree in particular that God told the woman not to eat from. But he, he was trying his luck. and said, of any tree in the garden. And then the woman said, no, he said, of all the trees we can eat, but this one in the middle, we should not eat it. And then he said, that ah, is not true. That like you can eat it if you eat it to it make you wise. And you must realize that what the devil does in temptation is, he he puts that thing, all right, in view. And the more you look at it, the more you start to accept it. Do you understand? The woman on her own never wanted to eat of that tree. The devil came and he kept emphasizing on the goodness of the tree. And the Bible says, when she saw that it was good. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the way the devil works. That's the way temptation works generally. It's a suggestion. You will keep suggesting it, suggesting it, suggesting it. One day, your eyes will see that it is good, and you will eat it. Do you get? Do you get? It reminds me of another story. Just write this down. You don't have to open your Bible. We don't have enough time. Second um, Samuel chapter thirteen from verse one to five. Second Samuel chapter thirteen from verse one to five. The the, the full story was um, Amnon, Tamar. And Amnon's Amnon's friend, Jonadab. Tamar was Amnon's sister. But the Bible says that Amnon loved Tamar. To the point that he fell sick. That was the only thing that was on his mind. Do you get? That's how temptation works. That's how depression works. The first time you left school... You came out of school. You open the Instagram. You scroll through. the rate that two people get married these like, days. My God! You scroll through. You saw that this person is married. It didn't really matter to you. In your mind, you one corner of your heart said, ah, "What am I doing with my life?" Anyway, and then you scroll past it. Then, in your how many of you have this thing on WhatsApp where you graduate from school and your classmates have a WhatsApp group? Raise your hand. In the WhatsApp group, they now announced social persons getting married too. Ah uh-uh. ah! Now it's different because it's not somebody you know from. It's like your classmates. Like you guys went to school together and she's getting married and you're like ah. So what am I really doing with my life? When am I getting married? Anyway, let me do my masters first. Then NYC should slap you and they post it to someone like Borno State or Benue State. <laughs> And then you're already sad that they posted it to Benue State. And in Benway, in the corner of Benue State, you are opportune and God should bless you with favour, And you find internet access to Instagram. And you open Instagram and your coursemate has... And you are in Benue State. And God should help you. That's one of the days when you are teaching in class. One of those small children are making noise. They're insulting you. They're like, look at me here teaching. My mate has gotten a car. Now it's beginning to dawn on you. And you are still letting it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are the one that's permitting this thing to happen. You come back from Benue State. Somebody else should get married. And that person should get married. One day, it will just sit on your mind. Why am I not moving forward in my life? What's happening to my life? See, at that point, it has enveloped you. It becomes all you can think about. You have seen that it is good for fruits. Do you get what I'm saying? It has enveloped you. It becomes all you can think about. It now begins to form the basis of your thoughts, generally. Do you get what I'm saying? So, you can no longer see all the good things that are happening in your life. All you can see is that you are not married you don't have a car, and when you were 18, you told yourself that by the time you are 23, that you'd be a millionaire. But now you don't even have money in your accounts. Amen. Now, maybe you can relate. <laughs> and then it becomes all you can think of, and you are sad, perpetually sad. Now, depression is not sadness. There's a difference. Depression is not sadness, but depression comes from sadness. You guys, right? It comes from sadness. It's prolonged sadness. You are so sad that it becomes a state of life. Life no longer has meaning to you. You don't have energy to do anything. They tell you guys, let's go and have fun. Like, What's the point? I don't have a car. (laughs) No, it might sound funny, but that's how it works. And that's the reason why the Bible says we should take every thought captive. If you don't vehemently, verbally refuse that thought the first time it comes into your mind. That first time it came into your mind, what am I doing with my life? If you don't tell yourself, no, 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 I'm I'm not going to think this way. I refuse to think this way. I will follow my own plan. I will follow my own path. I will buy my car when my car comes. I will get my house when my house comes. I will be who I want to be when I get there. But I'm not going to be who I want to be. I'm not going to compare myself to this person and lead myself into depression. If you don't do that from the beginning, you will find yourself ending up at depression. Do you understand? Raise your hand if you understand what I just said. That's how it works. That's how temptation works too. Your friend comes and says, guy, i a going go drink now. Now, you're, in the corner of your mind, you're like, I cannot. I'm a Christian. I don't want to be doing things like that. No, no, no. But you don't say it out. So they're like, guy, don't worry, we we'll go see later, we we'll go yarn later. They go they come. First time. Second time. Third time, says, Mo go drink. Guy, why you know they never go with us, when we go drink? Guy, where they go? You have not verbally refused it. You have not openly said, no, I can't do it. So, because you don't want to offend your guy, just follow your guy that say, I'll just reach their too because I don't want really drink like that. So just give me more. No one have drink with him the third time, fourth time, one day you just find yourself. The next time, you have become a drunkard. And you start looking for deliverance. Praise the Lord! I think, I think, before I start giving you biblical steps to overcoming depression, the first thing is how temptation. Number one, openly, verbally refuse it. Alright, when, when the devil came to meet Jesus Christ and he says, Ah, look at these stones now. Look at let me tell you, it's the same pattern every time. What the devil does is he tries to convince you to accept his lie as truth. Do you get same pattern? It doesn't change. Even with Jesus Christ, same thing he did with Eve, he came to do with Christ. Ah, look at these stones now. Shabuya Bros J, big guy, you get power. Last last. Turn these stones to bread. Jesus could have in his mind said, Man shall not live by bread alone, shall, but True try get power, shall. That's how temptation works. He, he didn't openly say it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Right? But he said it because that's how you overcome a temptation. You verbally, vehemently, especially one of the mind, say, I'm not doing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It might not be stone that they are asking you to turn to bread. It might not be wine that they are asking It might be sexual advances. The lady comes up to you or the guy comes up to you and he starts to make advances at you. And because you don't want to be awkward or you don't want to really offend the guy, you just smile. You know that awkward smile? (laughs) You just smile and you shrug away from it. You've not said no. You've not said yes. In your mind you have said no. But you've not said it out. One day you will say yes. Do you understand? You will say yes. Because one day you will not say, If I don't, if I don't, if I let me just let this guy do what he wants to do, so you stop pestering me. Then you find out that you are hooked. They've tied your name to one tree in the village and <laughs> you don't know how to get out of it. Praise the Lord. All right, let's talk about biblical steps to come out of depression. Number one. Okay, this one is is not really biblical. It's just common sense. Number one. Realize that indulgence is never the solution. Please. Indulgence is never the solution. I'll explain what I mean by that. See. People try to escape sad times by doing silly things. So your girlfriend just broke up with you and you say it was a good idea to go and get drunk. It's not a good idea. Aside from the health risks, it just doesn't make sense. When you when the effect of being drunk wears away, you will still remember that your babe broke up with you and you start crying. Realize that indulgence is never the solution. I know people indulge in several ways. There are people who try to get out of depression by drinking. Some people try to get out of depression by masturbation. Some people try to get out of depression by overeating. Some people try to get out of depression by partying too hard, you know. People even indulge in work. So they just pour themselves into their work. Indulgence is never the solution. Do you get what I'm saying? Because What you are doing in indulging is that you are running away. But the problem is, what you are running away from is not static. It's tied to your legs. So no matter how far you run, when you get to where you are running to, you'll find it beside you. Do you get Do you understand? So you can never truly rise out of things like depression by indulging. You can't. And Here's the bad part about indulgence. When you finish indulging in whatever you want to indulge in, to come out of that thing, it might help you once, twice, but after a couple of times, you start to feel empty. Right? Right? Indulgence is never the solution. Praise the Lord. Alright, number two, because this is a church. (laughs) Let's get to the Bible part. Number two, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Listen. There's a man named um, Jordan Peterson. And the man said this. He said that if the gospel is not true, then the only sensible thing to do is to kill yourself yourself. And take as many people with you as you can. If the gospel isn't true, the only sensible thing to do is to kill yourself and take with you as many people as you can. So just tie bomb and enter one large cinema, shout Allah Akbar, and pull the string and die, and let everybody die with you. And you might think that's extreme, but that simply means that. If the gospel is not true, or let me rephrase that, the gospel is the only place, is the only thing that gives this world as a whole meaning. I want you to think about it. There is no afterlife. It means that there is no reward for good and there is no reward for evil. Right? Which means that what Buhari is doing to us in this country Nobody will punish you for doing it. <laughs> ah, somebody has to punish you. Okay, let's not get to worry. But Adolf Hitler wasn't wrong in killing 6 million Jews. Sani Abacha did not do anything wrong in killing all the people he did. Neither did Idi Amin or Osama Bin Laden or any of the bad people you know. This world only makes sense if there's punishment for evil afterlife. And there's reward for good afterlife. Raise your Understand that at least. Do you understand? And listen. So, because this world makes sense with the idea and the concept of an afterlife, every religion preaches some form of afterlife. Right? But there is only one religion whose Messiah, whose progenitor has gone there and has come back to tell us that he has been there. And it's Christianity. Do you understand this? There's a Yoruba adage that says that if a man promises you a shirt, check the one he's wearing. If somebody promises you justice in an afterlife, ask him, have you been there? Your life makes no meaning if Christ did not die for you and did not come back from the dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you must think that, you might think... Oh, the evil that will be punished in the afterlife is just the evil of uh, somebody killed 6 million people. You know, the heavy stuff. But lying to your brother is evil, is wickedness. Stealing from him is wickedness. Right? Right? All of that has to be punished. All of that has to be punished. So now... We have seen that this world makes no sense without the concept of an afterlife. We have seen that there has to be an afterlife. We have seen that there is a religion that promises us an afterlife and somebody has been there to tell us that there really is an afterlife. Now, we have one last question left. When you get to the afterlife, what will be your fate, punishment or reward? went out to evangelize once. I spoke to a lady and I said to her, when you die now, are you going to heaven? She said, I don't know. I said, do you think, do you really not want to know? (laughs) Do you think that that's that's something you should be comfortable about if you don't know? How many of you will be comfortable about going to school and you don't know if at the end of the semester they will give you your degree? At the end of all your five years or four years, they will give you your degree. So you will just be reading and writing an exam. Let's just see how it goes. Maybe when we finish, just, just pat you on the back and say, it's okay, you can go, you are finished. <laughs> How terrible would that be? I will kill somebody. <laughs> what? But then you now have this whole world compared to something called eternity. And you don't know. Ah, your priorities must be very twisted. though. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. So you must realize that. In the gospel, there is provision for reward in the afterlife. Do you get that? That means that whoever made that provision for reward in the afterlife showed you the highest kind of love that can ever be shown. Your boyfriend can profess all the kinds of love he can profess to you, but if lion should enter into the room and both of you are the only ones in the room, he will run and leave you, babe. I'm sorry. He will run and leave you. <laughs> Do you understand? <laughs> your mother may love you as much as she wants to love you but she will die one day and leave you on this world alone there's no love there's no love that can be shown greater than somebody promising you that when you die and you leave this world the thing for you outside here is reward not punishment See, let me tell you, you might suffer in this world, but it's only for a little while. See, a hundred years is a little while. Because eternity, my brothers and my sisters. (laughs) Eternity is... You can't conceive it. You can't think about eternity. You cannot. If I ask you to think of the largest number you can think about, you probably go one billion, million, zillion, gazillion. You finish all of that, but that's not eternity. If you took every naira note, every dollar note, every pound note, every sterling note, every note of money in this world. Converted all the riches of this world into time. Into years. That's not eternity. Do you understand? Apple was a trillion dollar company a couple of months ago. They are no longer a trillion dollar company. Apple was a trillion dollar company a couple of months ago. If you take a trillion dollars, you know what one trillion is? One trillion is One trillion is one. Billion, billion, right? No, one trillion is a is a thousand billion. No, one thousand billion is what a a one billion is one million in one thousand places. (laughs) So if I give you one billion dollars, you're made now. Then they now give you one million dollars in one thousand places. In one thousand places, that's a trillion. If you convert every single note in one trillion dollars to time, it's not eternity. Think about where you will spend eternity if not for the gospel. You will realize that if he did not spare his own son, there's nothing he would spare from you. Do you understand? It is truly the greatest act of love that we could ever know. That somebody looked at us. Saw the fact that we are going to die one day. Saw the fact that there is an eternity ahead of us. That we have no clue where we would spend. Whether in rewards or in punishment. And he decided you know what. Let me make it possible that whenever these people die. They they make sure they go to rewards. That's love. Do you understand? So when you wake up every day. As a Christian. You must preach the gospel to yourself. You must tell yourself. I am loved by God. Loved so much so that he gave his son to die for me. Listen, I want you to understand the importance of his son dying for you. When you think about it, many people think it's a far-fetched idea. It's not so far-fetched. If you actually stop and you think, when I die, what happens next? You realize it's not really far-fetched. Because you could die right now. God forbid. God forbid. But you could die right now. Right? Right? I mean, we could all be here and then something will fall from the sky and that's the end of all of us. Hallelujah, we'll go and see Jesus Christ. <laughs> but we could all die right now. You know when we talk about the subject of eternity, everybody's like, eh, it's when I die now. Before I die, I'll say, God forgive me. You can die now. How <laughs> some people don't realize. <laughs> when people wake up, the people who die don't wake up thinking that, ah, so is my last day, let me do everything right. They don't. Do you realize that? They don't. You wake up that morning, you are going. Oh, can I shoot you? Can you? That's the end. Or, oh? people that die of malaria, that's the worst. You know, malaria kills in three days. Malaria, malaria, malaria. <laughs> malaria that you gotta take Pialaxin, you're good in three days. And you might not know that you have that level of malaria till the third day. Think about it. You can die right now. Suddenly, the importance of the gospel is not so far-fetched anymore. It's just beside you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I think I think we need to start learning to live our lives in the light of eternity. Um, next year we are going to do, I don't know if it's next year in December, we are going to talk a lot on purpose. What's your purpose on this earth? It's not to become a doctor or a lawyer. All those things don't make sense. Think about it. Think about the fact that you would die. And then maybe they've told their purpose is to become a lawyer or an entrepreneur. And then you will die and you get to heaven. And the question God will ask you is, Were you a good lawyer? It seems petty, doesn't it? Were you a good lawyer? And you know, that's not what we're talking about today. So, the first step is to preach the gospel to yourself. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Ah, uh, we don't have time. I mean, this is number two. Um, preach the gospel to yourself. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1 to 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1 to 2. Are you there? Okay, I'm just going to write it down. It says, Now brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and you have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you unless you believed for no purpose. So he said, you received it and you have taken your stand on it. The gospel that saves you is the gospel that grows you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The gospel that saves you is the gospel that grows you. There's no deeper revelation than the gospel. So, spiritual growth is truly seen in maturing in the gospel. Do you get that? Do you get that? The gospel that saves you is the gospel that grows you. And how does the gospel grow you? You must keep it ever before you. Praise the Lord. This is why every time um, Paul or Peter or John was going to address a group of people who were living in sin. His solution was to re-preach the gospel anew to them. Why? The gospel that saved you, is the gospel that grows you. So, he says, Know ye not that your body are the temple of the Holy Ghost to a couple of people who were sleeping with prostitutes? Why? Well, the gospel that saved you, this gospel that when Christ died for you, you died to your sins. And in his resurrection, you were raised with him to live a new life. And then you are able to live that new life because you have his spirit inside of you. All of this just means that God has justified you and has called you righteous. You see, that gospel is, is in that revelation that you grow. When you realize that I have God's spirit living inside of me, I cannot be Depressed you get that do you get that oh the fruit of the spirit is love joy if i have joy living inside of me i cannot be depressed so you must learn outside of depression you must learn to preach the gospel to yourself every day praise the lord all right number two number three Realize that your life is no longer about you. Pastor Moa read um, this um, during the opening church. Realize that your life is no longer about you. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fifteen. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse fifteen. It says, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised see let me tell you what depression does depression puts you at the center of your life all your thoughts become about you when will I get married? When will I get this done? When will my life move forward? I don't feel so good. I don't feel so happy with myself. I don't feel like I'm in the right place. That's what that's what sin generally. Depression, um, homosexuality, all those things. That's what they do. They put you at the middle of your life. But you are so unstable and so insignificant to be the point of your life. You must think about it That a person whose decisions can change any second Cannot be the reason you are alive You cannot be the reason you are alive Your life cannot revolve around you And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Just tells us that That he died for us So that those who live Who are those who live? Us Those who have received the gospel Those who believe in what Christ has done Those who live will no longer live for themselves You understand? So you don't just come and say my life is not my own, to you I belong. And then you go home and all you are doing is thinking about yourself. Praise the Lord. You must live every day realizing that life is not about me. The problem or the major problem with the prosperity gospel is that it's a gospel that puts you at the center of God's plan. But the gospel really puts Christ at the center of God's plan. And we find our identity where? In Christ. Any teaching. See listen. Jesus Christ was going to die. He turned to his disciples and said, Who do men say that I am? All of them said, One person said John the Baptist. I don't understand how they said <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> I mean, you guys knew when John the Baptist died. But it's okay. <laughs> he said, Who do men say that I am? And he said several things. And Peter said, you are Jesus, the son of the living God, and all of that. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. A few verses after that, Jesus told them he was going to die. And Peter said, no, no, that's negative confession. How can you say that? You shall die. You shall not die, but you shall live to declare the... the whatever, you know, that part. And then Peter said all of that. And what did Jesus say to him? He says, get deep behind me, Satan. Why? Because you don't have the things of God in your mind. You have things of men the concept of putting yourself at the center of your life, the concept of that thought pattern of putting men at the center of the universe is a devilish idea. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a devilish idea. God's plan is not to put man at the center of the universe. God's plan is to put Christ At the center of the universe. It starts from inside of you. God's plan is to put Christ at the center of your life. God's plan is to put Christ at the center of your business, your career, your your family, your relationships. Christ will be the center. From there, everything else will now make sense. That's why the Bible says, In him all things consist. Praise the Lord. So when you start to realize that my life is for more than me, I am not the point of my life. I am not the reason I'm alive. Oh. Paul says, for me to die is gain, but for to live is what? To live is Christ. So why am I alive? Christ. When you start to think that way, you will now begin to realize that everybody might have all the cars that they they want to have, but as long as I have Jesus, I have everything. I'm not happy that I don't have a car. I'm not happy that I don't have a house. I want those things. I want to have them. But my life is not just about me. So while I work hard to attain all those things, while I keep working hard to try to get myself a car, or get myself a house, or get myself to feel better, and all those other things, I'm content with the fact that I have Christ. Praise the Lord. When you realize, when you learn that life is for more than you, you truly start living. When you realize that the purpose of your life is Christ, then you will now understand that to give your life is not a big deal. Praise the Lord. That was number three, right? Alright, let's move on to the next one. Number four. Quit comparing. I think this one stems from the previous point. Quit comparing. Um, Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1 and I think verse 4. In fact, you know what, let's read verse 4. I'll read from the message, because the message puts it in a way that I, I, I want to use to explain something to you. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are, and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can do with your own life. An offshoot of the idea that life is about you is to now compare yourself with another person. If this life is about me and his life is about him, what is he doing It's his own life? That is better what I'm doing with my own life. Do you get what I'm saying? The offshoot of that system of thinking that life revolves around you, this whole world revolves around you, is the system or is the idea that, okay, it's good to compare yourself with other people. And I put up a post on Instagram, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday and I said listen, I'm me it's okay if you want to be like me I mean I'm also it's okay if you want to be like me <laughs> but never want to be me you understand what I'm saying? I know what I'm going through you don't comparing yourself with somebody else is foolishness it is it really is. So you go on Instagram, you see that somebody has gotten married yesterday, and then you're like, I want to get married. I want I want what this guy has. I want, to, I want to get married. But that person was forced into that marriage. And you didn't know. Well, the person has to look happy for the gram, right? That's a smile. I married my best friend. Hashtag best friends. Hashtag first name. My, the first two letters of my name, first letters of your name then 2018. So, you know. Living my best life now. And then you look at that and you're like, oh, I, I really want this. You don't. Because when the person looks at your Instagram and the person looks at you being so free to choose who you want to marry, the person says, I want that. Say rat race. Say rat race. When you live your life in comparison, you will continuously fall short because the best you can ever be is second place. Do you understand what I'm saying? you will continuously fall short. The best you can ever be is second place. If I compare myself to you, I can never be better than you. You know why? I would always look to see what you have done to do. So you would always be the person who first. Do you get what I'm saying? If you continuously live your life in comparison, you would always be in second place. You would always have that feeling that I should be more, but I'm not more. Why am I not being more? Because you're comparing yourself with other people. Now this does not mean that you should be blind to the advancements that other people are making. Alright? Look around you. Okay, people are making advancements. How did they make it? What can they do? What did they do? How can I do it? I'll do it. I'll try to get there. But, if I am not where this person is, I'm fine. Praise the Lord. Is this idea of comparison? Do you know people don't know how to be happy for people again? So somebody, you open your Instagram and you see somebody popping bottles, and like, ah, this guy has become a yahoo boy. Why must it be a yahoo boy for him to have money? They couldn't he have worked hard, or they dashed him to money. <laughs> Before it was okay for your friend. You know, you had a friend when you were younger. No, think about it. That's the way the world treats. The world teaches us to be. You were in primary school. You came second. Your friend came first. You were genuinely happy for your friend. In fact, you didn't realize it was a problem till you got to my appearance and said, the person that came first, does he have two heads? And you think, my friend doesn't have two heads. You were genuinely happy for your friend. You entered secondary school, uh, competition setting. That's when you're not covering your work when you're writing. The teacher will tell you, tell the class to focus on so-and-so-so place. You won't tell the class because you want to be first. There's a space for you in fire. Mentality of competition now begins to drive your life. It drives your life. It drives your life so much. You now get into the university, it has driven your life. You leave university, that's all you want to be doing with your life. To be You can't stop for a moment and enjoy the things you have. That's why the rich person always wants to keep getting richer. There are people in this world that if they stop, let me tell you. Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos just recently crossed a hundred billion dollars um, as his net worth. You know what a hundred billion dollars means? You know what a hundred billion dollars means? How many people are in Nigeria? One seventy million, right? Which means you can divide that money significantly to every indigene in Nigeria, including the cows they counted in the north. Think about it too. You can divide that guy's net worth. Like if I if I divide and give you your portion, you will need to work again. Think about that. But you still want to be richer. Because you richer than the next guy. Because that guy is coming up. If he's coming up, he should be going up. Going where he's going to. I have him. Right? Comparison is dangerous. Be happy for people where they are. If they are going... Keep going, guy. It will be I'm fine where I am. If you are not fine where you are ahead, then you work harder, okay? But when you have everything you need, but you are still looking at somebody else, and you're like, Your boyfriend always buys flowers for you. Why are you not buying flowers for me? You will ruin your own relationship. You will ruin the dynamics in your own relationship, you will ruin your whole life, and you enter depression. Quit comparing, okay. Praise the Lord. Number five. Seek fellowship. Number five. Seek fellowship. You know what? I want us to do some Bible study. Like heavy Bible study right now. So put on your thinking caps. And open your Bible. Matthew chapter 26 from verse 26 to 28 Matthew 26 26 to 28 are you there? are you there? and it says and as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it that's KJV language for broke, and gave it to the disciples and said Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the many remissions of sins. I think um, it was in Luke's account that he now added, Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Do what? Bible study now, guys. We are doing, we are doing Bible study. Put on your thinking caps. Do what? Break bread. Break bread. Guys, guys. Break bread. Drink wine. So what? Share. Share what? Let's look at 2nd, 1st um, First Corinthians. 1st Corinthians chapter 10. so um, anyway First Corinthians chapter 10 are you there if you are there say loud amen that's like one person if you are there now say loud amen alright He says the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ the bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ for we being many I one I one are you guys reading the same thing I'm reading I one thank you <laughs> for we be many are one and then he now says and one for we are all partakers of one so when Jesus was telling them do this as often as you do in remembrance of me what was he talking about fellowship? Do you understand? Do you get what I'm saying? For we, as we are, be many. He says we are one bread. Do you understand? We are one bread. One body. Because we are partakers of one bread. What is the one bread that we are partakers of? When Jesus broke bread, he said, this is my flesh given. This is my body broken for you. In his death, he broke that bread. Do you understand? We partake of his death as one family. And so because we partake of his, of his death as one family, we are one bread, one body. Do you understand? So, what do we do in remembrance of him? We fellowship with one another. So the true holy communion is what? So someone said, Why do you guys why don't you guys do holy communion in your church? And what the person was referring to is, you know, that thing where you come out, you line up, you take bread, you take juice, you drink juice, you go back and you sit down. And then I told the person, well, we do Holy Communion every Sunday. Why? This is Holy Communion. This is fellowship. Praise the Lord. It was Jesus' instruction for us to continue in fellowship. You are, you would be, you will be very, very rebellious to say you don't need it. Have you seen... Listen, have you seen people who tell you things like I don't I don't need to go to church on Sundays. That my Christianity is between me and God. Show me a person who says that and come back one year later I will show you a person who has backslidden. It happens every time. <laughs> a person who does not value the importance of fellowship... Listen. it might not be Sunday services we are saying Sunday because we meet every Sunday but whenever the brethren have the opportunity to meet be present do you understand what I'm saying seek fellowship look for it you are relocating to a new city, a new area, a new environment your first question should be after looking for house your first question should be is there a good church around that I can attend? Where can I go for prayer meetings? Where can I go for Bible study? Where can I be taught? Where can I attend? You see, because we are the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ. We are you get collectively and individually because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, but collectively, we are the body of Christ. Christ in- intended for the body to grow as one body. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ephesians chapter 4. chapter four. Let's read from verse fifteen. Are you there? For this say loud, Amen. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into Him who is the head of who is the head that is into Christ, from whom The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped with when each part, take note of this, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So how does the body grow when each part is working properly? Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen. 90% of the people who you see on the streets who used to be Christians stopped being Christians when they left fellowship. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they stopped being Christians when they felt that I've got into a place where I am now a senior man of God. You know, when I want to fellowship, I fellowship with God directly. You are going to, you will fail woefully. You will will rededicate your life to Christ. There's no such thing. No such person. So people tell me things like, Oh, pastor, help me. I'm struggling with so and so addiction. My first recommendation after the gospel is go to church. Be in church. Go for Wednesday Bible study. Go for prayer meetings. When they say we have a prayer meeting, don't skip it. And don't come because you think that there's a blessing waiting for you. The blessing is that you came. Do you understand? Don't come because you feel that way you come Pastor all prophesy and then they'll prophesy one million into your life. No. The fact that you showed and you prayed with us. Yes. Praise the Lord. When Peter was taken to jail, the church could have prayed individually in their houses for Peter. So, um, they'll send WhatsApp message that guys, Peter is in jail, let's just pray individually. Just take out any time and pray for him. The Bible says they gathered together in one place and they were praying. They prayed till Peter came back. But you so you are facing something in your life. And you are too big to call a brother to pray with you. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. There are certain temptations that you just cannot face on your own. For example, if the devil should come and tempt me with Coca Cola, I will fall. I love cook. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. First of all, things like that. I need people that can help me. <laughs> now that's a very, very, that's a very elementary example. But you get what I'm trying to say. Seek fellowship. Listen, you start to feel sad. You start to feel depressed. Talk to somebody. A Christian brother around you. And don't just tell the person I feel sad. That's ambiguous. Hello? I feel sad because... Can I talk to you? Yes, guy. I don't feel so good. And this is why I don't feel so good. And I'm telling somebody that, see, the person might not have the answer to your question. But that's last, last, we go, they alright, that we usually tell ourselves. It really does help. Really. And don't think that you are so super spiritual that everybody expects you to be in a place where um, you, you have it all figured out. So you can't really talk to anybody. It's a lie. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's read verse 11. We'll read verse 11 and 12. It says, For I long to see you, That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. Who was writing? D. Paul. The one that wrote the thirds of the New Testament. Was he the one writing? If Paul could say this, my brother, you need fellowship. Don't think that, oh... That, you know, last week I casted out the devil in the presence of Sister Vanessa. I cannot call, I cannot, I cannot, how can I call her now to tell her to pray with me because I feel depressed? Depression will kill you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You are something. Sorry, excuse me, can I talk with you? I mean, don't don't just walk up to a random stranger and say that, please, I'm depressed. <laughs> don't do that. Okay, it's very awkward. Although you can do it in Circle Church, everyone is family. And please, if someone should walk up to you randomly and say I'm depressed, don't look at the person like he's awkward. Please, I'm begging you. All right, treat him nice. <laughs> but make sure, listen, from now, there are a few things you ought to build. I think. Let me not just say it. From now, there are a few things you ought to build. Number one, make sure you have a prayer partner. It sounds a cake, but it is true. Do you understand what I'm saying? Make sure that you have somebody that when something goes wrong, the first person you think of that, I need to pray about this. Let me call my friend so that we'll pray about this together. You have that person in your life. And let it not be your boyfriend and your girlfriend. Let it be somebody else, somebody neutral. I'm not saying that your boyfriend cannot be your prayer partner, but he cannot be your only prayer partner. Praise the Lord. Let it be somebody neutral. Call somebody and say, please, can you be my prayer partner? Can we be accountable to each other? Can we try to pray at least thrice a week or four times a week together? Praise the Lord. Such a person when it's time for you to go for retreats, and you must have retreats so. You must, I've told you this before, you must have specialized seasons of prayer, of devotion, where you take out the time to pray. I have one of those. I go every month. At the end of every month, I go to Ikorudu to go and pray. Because that's where my prayer partner lives. And Ikurudu is outside Lagos. So when you go there, you know you've traveled for prayer. (laughs) It's like you went to the mountain to go and pray. Praise the Lord. Make sure you have that a period of time where you say, I'm going to go and pray. I'm going for retreat. I want to go and pray. Because see, if you don't develop that culture now, when times look difficult, praise the Lord. The greatest gift the Christian has is his ability to pray and effect changes in the place of prayer. And you must have a friend with whom you pray. The same person or another friend with whom you go out to evangelize. Somebody you study the Bible with. These things are important. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. So that at the time when the devil comes at you with depression. You know who to call. You say brother or sister. I don't feel so good. Can you pray for me? Please. Praise the Lord.